Lee Henson Hasty. I'm the Senior Director of uh, Theological Education Funds Development for the Presbyterian Church USA Foundation uh, with the Committee on Theological Education, and I'm uh, sheltering in place here in, in Louisville. And I have today with me um, to talk about re-envisioning theological education, the Reverend Dr. Frank uh, Yamada. Um, and uh, there's somebody, I don't know anybody else in the world who would know more about that on a, uh, you wake up and think about theological education daily, um, broadly, Frank, and just thanks for being here uh, today. You may welcome our guest. I'll look and see who else is uh, watching. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lee, and thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to, to be, um, be here with all of you on Facebook Live, and uh, to see you again. So yeah. I miss the work that we used to do on Cody. So. Oh, God. Well, speaking of, Mindy Douglas is one of the first <laughs> guests. Uh, I remember you two as a team, as chair. And, and Oh, I wasn't. I, oh, yeah, that's right. I was chair. But I think, uh, yeah, she was uh, she was vice chair, I think, maybe in an earlier time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, hello, Mindy. Mindy, uh, First Church um, Durham now. Um, we're uh, glad to see you there and others. Uh, and Frank, thanks for being here. Thanks for making the time. I, we were just talking about he has a busy summer and he went even mentioning his biennial meeting uh, <laughs> that happened a few weeks ago. But uh, Frank is the executive director of the Association of Theological Schools. That also includes the Commission on Accrediting. Uh, that reports to the Department of Education, one of the accrediting agencies for 250 how many now no pretty close to 280 now 280 mm -hmm. 280 accredited schools in the u.s and canada um he's been there since july 2017 before that um so we're at the three-year anniversary here in july <laughs> a lot has Just happened. passed it yeah <laughs> a lot has happened uh, before that he was uh the president of one of our presbyterian church related schools mccormick theological seminary in uh, Chicago, and also uh, a biblical hermeneutist. Uh, he he taught uh, Bible there at 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 McCormick, and before that, Seabury Western. Um, a graduate, a PhD from Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, as well as as Master of Divinity, and a graduate of Southern California College. He's from Southern California, um, and probably not in a lot of introductions. He is he has many talents. <laughs> surfing is one of them as well as cooking we hopefully we'll talk about cooking too but frank uh we're going to put your bio in the in the link there but thanks again for being here great thanks again yeah it's look forward uh, to this it's uh he's it's been fun to work with you um and it's it's good to have you here today so um usually we start i think you know about talking about call um, you and I, we are also on the board together at the Forum for Theological Exploration. I know discernment is really key. You did not see yourself as the executive director of ATS, nor did you really sign up for that. Um, and I really think you see yourself as a teacher, and you are a teacher. You still are. I saw that in the, in the Zoom uh, presentations you made to the ATS uh, in June. Um, and to my lectionary group, you're such a good teacher. Um, but what is it at the center of your call? What is it that, uh, as Katie Cannon said, what is the work your soul must have? What is it, as Howard Thurman says, makes you come alive? Because we need people who are coming alive. Uh, how do you answer that today? Uh, well, I, I, I think uh, 
how I answered that today is similar how I, to how I'd answer it. And, and some of it's a little bit of a retrospective of looking over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think really what makes me come alive is change. Um, mm. it's, it's not, uh, I certainly think of myself as a theological educator, um, certainly now as an executive director of a theological uh, education society or association, but change is really what makes me come alive. Um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the food that my soul needs. Um, cause, cause change takes sometimes much more from you than it, than, uh, than it actually feeds you. Um, but, um, I find change to be both exhilarating, um, uh, challenging. Um, and I find in when I'm in those contexts, that's when I feel most alive, um, both in terms of I have a heightened sense of possibilities and opportunities and hope. And at the same time of fears and threats, um, the, you just feel like you're hypersensitive to all of these things. Um, and I don't really mean change for change's sake, but meaningful yeah. change in the way that we do things and the mm. way that things are changing. And I think it maybe is also an extraction from what we're experiencing in the church, what we're experiencing mm-hmm. in the theological education. It's an embodiment in some ways of what's going on in theological education, and that is change. Um, another way that I've thought about this vocationally as, as a Gen Xer, I've often thought of my vocation as being a combination of a hospice chaplain and a midwife. Mm. Um, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm the small generation sandwiched between these two very large generations, the millennials and the, and the baby boomers. Um, so on the, on the hospice side, it's allowing something to transition with grace and gratitude into mm-hmm. a new stage of life. Because death is not an end, right? It's it's right. this new stage of life, right. and participating. You're saying goodbye and saying hello to something. correct, right. exactly. <laughs> and at the same time, you're participating, and this is kind of the midwife piece, and supporting the birth of something new in that liminal space between life and death, mm-hmm. um, which is birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I really have sensed my call as both a, a mid fifties something person, but as a theological educator at this particular time mm-hmm. in theological education. And one last thing, I think because of COVID-19, um, I think, um, it's become one of those places where I felt particularly alive around this idea of change, mm-hmm. even while sheltering in place and being socially distanced from others. As you see the transformation of theological schools and of communities of faith, as we're trying to lean into what this new normal is that the pandemic has created. Um, you know, um, midwife, both of those make sense to me. And I'm thinking even in my own experience and the work we've done um, when you started at McCormick uh, is when the whole idea of, of, of birth or rebirth of the theological education fund happened and it, mm-hmm. you know, long story there and transition. And here I sit, um, five years later, um, is, is really, that's unbelievable. Um, that I, I see that as part of who you are and, and, and what's happening with the ATS and theological education broadly. Um, and hospice care, I think folks are starting to appreciate hospice chaplains more and more mm-hmm. and being in touch with them. I mean, it's a real gift. I know in my own experience, personal experience um, with hospice chaplains. Um, uh, they, they help us understand what's currently happening and what can happen toward the future and help ask the right questions. I, I think that's something you do really well is ask really good questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And, and I do see you giving birth uh, to new things too. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's a nice pair, pairing. 
Um, I see there's a couple other people. Jim Kitchens has joined us, Jack Barden from Austin area, um, Ken Whitehurst, uh, Lester Luisher, uh, colleague from the ATS, Rebecca Mazzoli, a pastor in Pennsylvania. Um, so they're thanking us for being here. Um, so Frank, uh, I remember just, you know, you dial, dialing, dialing back in history a little bit and saying a little bit more about you is I've, I, that makes sense that change would be at the center of who you are. And maybe, maybe a word, the word conversion is akin. You're, 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 you're the uh, Hebrew scholar here, um, but probably similar to the conversion. It's some, towards something new. I mean, and you wrote about some years ago about two conversions in your life. I'm sure there's been more, but at least two. One toward from a Buddhist family toward an upbringing toward Christianity as a 19-year-old. And second was your conversion uh, in seminary toward uh, theological education, a world that created new narratives, uh, starting right with the book of Genesis um, and carrying on through theological scholars. You talk about Augustine Bart, Bonhoeffer, Calvin, but also Brueggemann, Dolores Williams from here in Louisville, Kwok Quilan, Phyllis Tribble, uh, and I bet the list could could even expand beyond that. Um, is that what you're talking? Is, is is there a kinship between conversion and change? Do you think? Yeah, um, you know, conversion's not it's not a good reformed word necessarily. Right. Um, you know, we don't <laughs> conversion is kind of more of an evangelical word, but uh, you know, that my entry into the church was through an evangelical mega church. Um, mm -hmm. But it, uh, certainly conversion is something that I think keeps on happening. And uh, you know, maybe in a good reform sense, conversion really is more about you as an individual catching mm -hmm. up to what God has already been doing in your life. Mm -hmm. And it requires your conversion. Mm -hmm. I think I wrote in another piece later on the church is that my sense was it wasn't that the Holy Spirit was changing the way that the churches should be, but the church needed to catch up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and so the church always needed to be converted again and again to the work of, of what God is doing in the world. Um, so, yeah, I, maybe that's what conversion is, our experience of, of this kind of radical shift mm -hmm. from one reality to another. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I think maybe it is just kind of part of my Christian experience that, mm -hmm. um, that, that life is all about. It, it's, it's moving from one big change um, uh, where you expected and saw life and the world in one way, and it's disrupted by the presence of God in different kinds of ways. And my experience with theological education was very much that way. Um, mm -hmm. Just being uh, gratefully um, kind of um, learning about all these great traditions and um, traditions that were from more recent past and from, from centuries past. Right. Um, and in some, some cases with the Bible, millennia past, right? Uh, where <laughs> things, you just began to realize things that shifted the way that you thought about knowledge. So mm -hmm. there's a conversion of knowledge that happens at, at seminary. Um, and I would probably add a whole bunch of other, others more recently. Um, uh, you know, I think my uh, conversions of different kinds to uh, just my own racial ethnic identity awakening, right. which happened during seminary or my conversion from being what I thought was going to be a lifelong career vocation in teaching and learning as a faculty person to becoming an administrator, uh, you know, the, the, the big bad administrators in a school. Um, so that, um, uh, that turned to um, the Star Wars motif of being the, on the, you know, being to the, um, 
the dark side of the force um, was quite a conversion as well. Um, but, uh, but it's, um, I think that last conversion in terms of being in, uh, engaged in more administrative leadership, it's really kind of helped me see the way that institutions and organizations are changing um, and the need for institutions and organizations to can be continuing reforming and or mm-hmm. converting to the realities that are in front of them. That does seem very, I like that you use reforming and maybe even in, uh, in the reformed tradition, that openness to the mm-hmm. um, reformed and always reformed according to the word of God and the call of the spirit. I think that's the kind of spirit you're talking about and that openness, but it's not human. Maybe Calvin's right. It's not, not human for us to be <laughs> excited about change. I mean, and I think there's a lot of folks who are anxious out there even now during this time. Um, this is just, I mean, the paradigms are shifting and changing and that's scary and just change for change itself. I think you just it doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but the openness to be able, I think I want to put on your glasses and to be able mm-hmm. to see and discern, I think with those biblical hermeneuticists, you know, and scholar kind of lenses and, um, and your vocation toward change to notice what the Holy Spirit is up to. I'll never forget being at your inauguration as president of um, McCormick Seminary. I believe that was in uh, a, um, was it an Amy Zion church? No, no, no. Um, it, it was, was an apostolic was, assembly, Pentecostal church. Apostolic assembly, yeah. which not one the of the larger normal, ones on the south side of Chicago. Not right? the normal place you'd normally think a Presbyterian seminary president. No. Um, so just being in that place and the gathering of the holy, the cloud of witnesses who were there, the gifts that you received from all these different folks, um, and your your theme and address around. Um, approaching 2040, that you were trying to look around the curve, uh, mm-hmm. over the horizon, so to speak, and and that was largely around uh, this the, the 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 wisdom then back in 2012, around 2040 being the tipping point um, toward a racial ethnic majority in the United States, and that's mm-hmm. that's I think um, may have changed sooner. I love that you say. Um, that uh, in all its rich diversity, seminaries are doomed to be archaeological artifacts, a volume le- uh, best left in long-term storage section of the archives of human knowledge thrown into the dollar bin of all the other bad 80s movies if we don't pay attention, if we don't adapt. Right. And, and that probably could be said about churches too. I mean, so this, this is part of that call to spirit. It's not just about relevance. It's about faithfulness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's about making a difference you think i mean uh, have you changed in your thinking about this since or become more uh, clear about it uh well uh no i haven't changed in my thinking um i i think the context in which i serve has serve has changed um sure. so um you know I, I think in my address i highlighted three things and i think those three vectors of change i think is what i referred them to be um so we had the racial ethnic diversity right the time by which we would have a racial ethnic majority in the country or we would no longer have a racial ethnic majority in the country um and um I, again the good news about that is uh, the significant number of ats schools are already there in terms of their student yeah, population sure. so it's um 2040 realities have hit ats schools faster than they have in other mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. um and that's probably because ats schools are the meeting place of of the formation of leaders for the church but also the the meeting place for knowledge so this is 
uh, appropriate. Um, the second vector of change I talked about was technology mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the digital forms of technology. So here we are um, having a virtual, or I would say a more remote conversation over right. Facebook Live right. and on Zoom, um, because there's nothing virtual about this. I mean, this is real, um, this, but it's it's remote. Um, but the use of digital technologies, uh, boy, they just have exploded in terms of their use within ATS schools over the past decades, but mm-hmm. even increasingly so this past spring, um, sure. even if we're going to acknowledge that most schools, when they kind of pivoted to being online during the pandemic, uh, while most of those schools would have done that in a, a way that we would call maybe emergency remote delivery rather than very robust online teaching mm-hmm. or distance learning, uh, that shift to digital technologies is in full force. Um, mm, right. Um, and then the third vector of change was this was this generational shift that we're that we've seen happening. And um, my call there was to allow the millennials to lead us. Um, mm-hmm. So right. you know, I I and I think we see that in many different ways, not just in terms of how they're leading the church, um, how they're leading on the streets, um, how they're in terms of protests and. Um, the kinds of changes that they're calling for, how they're leading in government, how they're leading in theological schools. So this is all of these vectors of change. I think I saw these as an inevitable. So I didn't think I thought I was preaching to the choir when I was saying these things. But I, I think that they have all taken on significant shape in terms of who we are as a church and who we are as um, theological educators, for sure. Right. I mean, it, it became really that became clear. I was sitting in watching via YouTube, the, the ATS and commission on accrediting uh, um, plenary sessions. Uh, I didn't get to watch, but at the front end was a black lives matter um, kind of teach in type moment um, Mm -hmm. uh, the day before those meetings. It's, it's, it's definitely a new world and it's exciting uh, to see. Um, Rebecca Melozzi uh, from Pennsylvania pastor is asking, she, she says churches really struggle with the idea of relevance. It's tricky to lean away from uh, how we can be more relevant conversation into how we can be more faithful. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think she's probably right. And I feel like there's a, there was something about being faithful and relevant in these, these new standards, this once in a generation motion, as I, I guess, I'm not sure who coined that term, but uh, that you were taking, it's, it, uh, the, it's only the third time in... Um, ATS you know, is 101-year history, yep. Yeah, 101-year history for them to really make these significant changes, not just tweaks to the standards. And it's kind of like when we changed the Book of Order, it went from, went from here to here. I mean, it, it went from it just down to eight from... A, it had worked up to over a hundred pages and you're down to 18. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But yet it feels like it, it's not narrowing the kind of schools and the kind of ways that you accredit. It's actually expanding those so that you're, there is a relevance to um, more than just the main line, more than just the traditional, not just thinking about the MDiv as the only, you know, and I realize you accredit, uh, dozens of degrees, I think, um, but um, but it's actually um, there's an expansiveness to it. Uh, so, how does this play into into your thinking and your call, and what's you're noticing? Well, uh, um, so just a, a brief word about the biennial meeting. Uh, there's so many ways in which this was just kind of a 
a paradigmatic moment for right. what we're talking about in terms of changes. So not only are we having this once in a generation decision, uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the standards have only been um, completely rethought, revised in this significant kind of way three times in the history of the association. Um, and uh, the last one happened, you know, just over a quarter of a century ago, right? So it's, wow. it, we're talking like literally that's the, 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 the phrase is not just a, is not just a, uh, a communication blurb. It's, it's, it's literal. This is a once in a generation kind of decision. Right. Um, and uh, the, the themes within this, you, you had mentioned the, the movement of the standards from being over a hundred pages to about 18. Um, it, it's, it's much more than them being shorter. Um, these, these standards are much more principle-based, educational quality principle-based than they are practice-based. So that's mm -hmm. a significant shift. Um, the thief, the three three themes that we named for our biennial meeting uh, were um, were quality, clarity. Um, in an early version, it was actually simplicity, but we didn't want people to confuse simplicity with being simplistic. Right. Um, so we used the word clarity. Um, so quality, clarity, and flexibility. Yeah. Now, even if you think so, quality is something that standards that this is what the standards are there for. They're um, both to ensure but tend to points point schools in the direction of what quality looks like in theological education that's why there's standards right um but uh but these notions of of being clear um and um and and really with an elegant simplicity about them right and to provide schools with flexibility that those are um the three kind of themes uh, around standards these would not be the, the three themes that standards would have been characterized by in the 20th century or, or um, in, past, in past versions. As you named, you know, the, for most of ATS's history, uh, the ATS was a predominantly mainline organization. It, was, uh, it is now 44%, uh, 45% uh, evangelical wow. uh, Protestant. Um, mainlines make up about 33% of the association and Roman Catholic Orthodox about 22. Is uh, that the number of schools or students? No, those are the percentages uh, the, of schools. Yeah, cool. numbers of schools, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the character of the membership has changed. Um, but, uh, you know, and for most of that time as well, the MDiv and still the MDiv is the most populated degree among ATS schools. Mm -hmm. But the, the fastest growing group of degrees are MAs. Um, mm -hmm. And that really shows us that I think signals a shift in the, in the church and who's getting trained in theological schools. So we get an increasing number of traditions that don't require the MDiv as a certification for the, for ordination. And in fact, a growing number of students are already ordained within the right. tradition right. and their theological education is more of a, is more of a companion to their, uh, their already serving ministries. So, um, uh, so the character of theological education has changed. And in some way what the standards are doing is they're just recognizing the contextual nature in which schools, in which schools are doing theological education these days. Um, and to be able to accommodate that great diversity and contextuality of theological education, the standards had to move toward principles rather than a set of practices. 
which was really what the, the former standards were more based on educational practices. So for example, we did have a specific standard on distance education or online right. education. Um, now we are pointing to more educational principles that can apply both online learning and face-to-face -face, um, classroom instruction. So it could, it could be that folks do an MDiv faster or slower, right? I mean, there's not a, there's not a specific way of doing it. And, and by the way, let me mention for you folks who don't know is the only uh, uh, organization named in our constitution or in the, in the, in the book of order in the form of government. Uh, that's not Presbyterian, it's the Association of Theological Schools, G G20607. It's about the final <laughs> assessment of candidates, that you ha shall have a transcript from a theological institution accredited by the Association of Theological Schools. That used to just say ATS. It didn't even have the whole. <laughs> but, I mean, this is important. I mean, I mean, so the schools that are accredited are going to have different rhythms and ways of living that out than they did before. I mean, this is a big deal. This Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. Um, now, the, the MDiv still, you know, um, the still data before. show, mm -hmm. the data show that the that the duration of the MDiv is actually is is greater than three years. So, um, in terms of how students accomplish that, I think that's another way in which theological education has changed. Um, mm -hmm. and in another piece, uh, I, and uh, I think is, it may be in one of my other addresses that I've given as an ex executive director. Uh, and one of the three big ways that uh, we see school shift changing and theological education changing is in the students whom they serve. Mm. Um, there's changes demographically. This is the 2040 piece, right? There's, so we see an increasing number of students of color at ATS schools, uh, but it, that doesn't quite completely capture uh, the full breadth of how ATS student bodies are changing. Um, increasingly students are, you know, so one of the examples that I use is if you're looking at the 20th century student of an ATS school, typically this would have been a white male Euro-American who was attending full-time an MDiv program at likely a mainline Protestant school. Mm -hmm. um, it would have been a residential program more than, <laughs> right? So um, uh, uh, this person will would have uh, been going to a seminary of his or her denomination in right. which he or she was raised. Right. Um, and then would be going on to serve a congregation <laughs> of that same denomination. Not and you look at each of those categories in the 21st century student for ATS schools and almost every one that's one of those categories has changed. Right. So increasingly right. these are people, um, you know, increasingly people of color are attending ATS schools. Uh, they can be male or female, of course. Um, they're more likely now to be attending an evangelical school. Uh, evangelical schools serve about 65% of the students in all wow. of ATS. Um, they're uh, likely already serving in context of ministry and they're likely attending a seminary that's not, a, not, of their not necessarily of their denomination. Um, and as I said before, they're already probably in their context of ministry rather than um, uh, well, which is probably that's true for a lot of Presbyterians too, maybe not ordained to do that, but they're a youth minister or they're, right. you know, they're doing some kind of directorship at, at a local church or what have you. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a whole new world enrollment. And I can't believe our time is, is, is blown away here, but enrollment still <laughs> though is a huge issue, right? Just in mm -hmm. general, 
across the ATS, uh, and especially among the main line. I don't know mm -hmm. if you want to say anything about that. Yeah, well, it, 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 the, the trends have been that uh, uh, overall as an association, um, enrollments have been pretty steady, okay. uh, though they've come off of their highs from 2005. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, uh, but if we look at that and parse those out in terms of ecclesial traditions, uh, uh, Roman Catholics have remained fairly steady. Um, um, uh, evangelicals have remained fairly steady with a slight decline as well. Mm -hmm. And all have seen slight declines, but they have been fairly steady. But with the main, mainline Protestant traditions, which of mm -hmm. course include our Presbyterians, yeah, the, the slope has been pretty steeply downward. Um, mm -hmm. Enrollments have decreased, and there's a number of reasons probably for that. Mm -hmm. Some of that is reflecting the demographics of our membership. Mm -hmm. um, sure. I think that's just part of it. Um, it particularly within Presbyterian churches um, uh, and Presbyterian seminaries, I think uh, we as a mainline school, um, like other mainline traditions, um, but unlike, thing, unlike, for example, the United Methodists, do not require necessarily our candidates, it's more like a, by a presbytery by presbytery kind of thing, require our candidates to go to a Presbyterian Church USA school. Right. So um, for a lot of those kinds of reasons, I think we've seen um, sharper declines in enrollment at mainline Protestant schools. Well, I'm, I'm, um, something that I study and look at and want to learn more about. And, and I... Um, Again, I can't believe our time is gone. We could probably talk <laughs> another hour easily. Um, I, I am convinced, and I know you've been mentored um, by many, and uh, we've both been mentored. And you introduced me to a common mentor. This is not an advertisement. I'm not being paid. But, <laughs> but um, Vivian Howard, who is, uh, this, this is her, her book about uh, um, her cookbook, uh, but the chef's life, this is something Frank and his wife, Michelle turned me on to. And uh, she was, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, I don't know why, you know, in the show and, and she talks about it in the book is Miss Lily, um, mm. who was an African-American woman from her community, Deep Run, which is outside of Kinston, mm. <laughs> you know, a very um, rural location, very much taught. Um, she didn't learn to cook from her mother so much. She's, she's, mm -hmm. she learned from folks like Miss Lily and she goes and visits them. And, and that, those, that kind of mentoring uh, really uh, makes a difference. And she tells just, just wonderful stories. Mm -hmm. um, you're a, you're a cook. You're the iron chef champion, maybe multi-times at McCormick. <laughs> Jen Ayers, if you're out there, uh, I know she was, she was part of the winning team at one point. Um, <laughs> but I think if I remember right, she was also part of a winning team that beat that beat our team at one point. So. Okay, <laughs> it's a, it's a big deal, and I bet it's it's amazing. I've never been there for that, but um, you're just a beautiful chef and sous chef and um, hmm. and leader, Frank. I can't thank you enough for the ways that you have and are and can will continue to contribute to not only theological education, but to the life and witness of Jesus Christ and, and the church and beyond. Mm -hmm. And um, just prayers that that will, uh, you will feel the love. I see Anna Pickney Strait. I see our common friend, former co-moderator, Bill Marisa Tronovieri, joining in and singing your praises too. Just know that that comes and, and we're here. Um, thank you for being a missionary um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the ecumenical community um, and in the work that you do. And if you're willing, um, 
would you mind offering a benediction, a charge, a prayer, a blessing to those who gather today as we close? Surely. Um, and maybe I could offer this, and the audience may be broader, but my guess is that your target audience is going to be Presbyterians. And from what I've heard in terms of those who have gathered, that's we've gathered some Presbyterians right, and some yes. good Presbyterian friends. Um, so uh, may, may I offer a, a word of benediction and a closing prayer? So friends, as we go forward into this world, this new world that is shaped by many challenges and uh, things that we haven't encountered before in our lives, um, both the twin pandemics of COVID-19 and of systemic racism, may we live faithfully into the call that our God has put forward before us, uh, that the Spirit leads us to. May we be converted again and again to the work of the Spirit and the work that God is trying to do in the church and in the world. Um, and may you be agents of that change and transformation and that conversion so that we may live more faithfully into what God has for us as a people. So in this, we ask for God's grace. We ask for God's mercy. We ask for God's justice. And we thank you, dear Lord, for this time to be able to gather even in spaces that are remote, not virtual. And we ask for your presence to be among us, real presence to be among us, mm. um, knowing that that presence is not virtual, but is what gives us life and sustains us. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That was beautiful um, and needed. I needed to hear that. It's not It's not just virtual. This is real. The real presence, uh, your real presence, uh, God's real presence with us. Mm-hmm.